two, one, and go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. My name is Kyle Ott. I am joined, as always, by my illustrious co-host, Mr. I am Riley Parks. And we are back once again for another episode of Desks and Dorks, uh, the popular board game podcast. So I am a game designer. Riley Parks is a podcaster. I went to my crazy friends on the internet and I said, give me your weirdest ideas. We took the best of those weird ideas, put them in a March Madness style bracket. And then every week, Riley and I do a pitch. And then every week, you, our illustrious, beautiful voters, decide which games you would like to see advance to the next round. And then eventually at the end of this bracket, the light at the end of this proverbial tunnel, we are going to turn one of those games uh, into an actual honest-to-God product, which we are going to deliver to the hungry game-desiring masses. Uh, and that's basically it. So this week we have some really, really interesting games. I have a game that I have been uh, jokingly referring to as Coolness. Uh, and then Riley has a, one, a returning veteran, uh, one of the winners from one of our earlier brackets, coming back to hopefully fight yet again. For its uh, for its freedom, shall we say? It is indeed and on that road, is it not? It is indeed on the on on the road to freedom, one could say. Uh, and with that little uh, introduction out of the way, Riley, why don't you get us started with Road to Freedom? I would actually say let's go ahead and have we're going to end off on a more somber note, which is why I say we end with Road to Freedom and we start with yours. That's not coolness. Yep. All right. Are, are you sure? Because I've started. I'm, I was listening to the last ones. I, I've started now, at this point, the last three podcasts. Oh, wow. I did not know that was how we were counting. Well, if you but, want to start somber, we can start somber. So, Road to Freedom is going to be... It's 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 very much reworked from what we had originally discussed it as. Uh, I was going to say... it was originally say, pitched to us, it was pitched to us as a game of life, um, but crossing the border... And that's originally how we, how I had started designing it. But honestly, that just didn't fit the theme. It didn't fit the yeah. essence of the game. We we definitely had a, um, we definitely had a really extensive, shall we say, workshopping period. The two of us did during that during that podcast. Really started talking about things and sort of fleshing out how we can make Road to Freedom less of a a game that sort of cashes in on what I think is a, a pretty somber theme, but it's also a, a pretty important theme. Um, and, and sort of really tries to tie it into those stories and those experiences of people that have immigrated to our country, uh, which is kind of something that's near and dear to my heart. So, yeah, I, we, we had a really extensive uh, workshopping period. Tell me tell me what changes from that workshopping period made it into this game, Riley. All right. So it's that somber, chilling, real experience game, um, working to spread knowledge and strive for change. Uh, definitely more adult oriented um, that it's not entirely for the faint of heart but at the same point in time I think everybody should play it. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's going to be a cooperative well, a cooperative choice if you will. Storytelling fact-based game about gathering supplies choosing routes and deciding how to work together to reach a common goal. Um, We had kind of talked about and it was one of your ideas in the previous one using like a dice life point system so to speak. Maybe not life point so to speak but that dice system to control this is what, you know, you can either pool your dice together so that it's easier for you to meet these minimums, mm-hmm. but that yeah. it is more difficult to hit, um, to stay within a detection level. Yeah, we refer to this as a dice pool, usually. Um, and yep. in a lot of games, so for example, Yahtzee is a game that makes use of a dice pool, uh, but in Yahtzee, the dice refresh at the end of every turn. So you're going to wind up actually getting access to um, and being... Uh, 
essentially getting those dice every single turn. Those dice were fresh. Um, I know when we had originally talked about this particular game, we had talked about the dice not refreshing. Um, and we had talked about – or, or very rarely refreshing, I yes. think, is what we discussed. And essentially the way that I was looking at it with this is when they will kind of refresh between scenarios. But okay. the way that they're used, um, you're going to use them to meet kind of minimums to secure passage, to gain supplies, and that kind of thing. So essentially yeah, to- you can supplement your dice or you can supplement those rolls with supplies, with um, contacts, with information gained. Yeah, so there's going um, to be opportunities as, to refresh those dice, but those are going to be fewer and far between, it sounds like. Exactly. As well as you'll have the option to pull them together. So not only is your dice pool your dice pool, but say you and I are both working for that same goal, and we're going to hit that in just a moment. But say you and mm-hmm. I are working for that same goal, you and I can put our dice together. So that way we have a far higher chance of being able to reach and cross that border, so to speak. Yeah, um, and, meet, and or, meet or to goal. respond to some of the challenges, right? I know exactly. that in our original our original pitch, what we had uh, we had workshopped was stuff like, uh, for example, I had read an article about something really horrible called the night train, which is yep. a, essentially oh, we a train there that people. Oh, okay. So the night train's making an appearance. All I'm right. about I'm about a sentence in of my. Uh... I'm sorry. Well, probably okay, in three paragraphs or so. I am oh, going to shut up and I'm going to let you pitch. <laughs> I am gonna, I'm going to get out of your way, sir. All right. Oh, you are just fine. But yes, yeah, so we're going to use that dice pool. Um, and you're going to either cross, work on crossing together as a group, or you can attempt to go solo using your own supplies and dice pool. Um, so I'm thinking it's going to have a little bit of a drafting phase. Not as a huge part of the game, but just to kind of give you an ability to secure those points. But before that, we're going to shuffle a selection of route cards. Um, I'd like to find a better name for them, but for right now, that's what I've got. Um, Mm -hmm. All that are going to, throughout the game, tell a tale of immigration, and they're all going to have kind of certain requirements or the supply requirements that you can supplement with the die or vice versa. Um, And they're all going to be routes of very difficulty, even legality. I mean, it could be going through the system. It could be crossing in a van. It could be using the dreaded night train where you're literally trying to secure yourself on a train for three or four days going just straight down at max speed. Mm-hmm. Um, each route is going to have a selection of cards and milestones based upon it um, that all put together are going to tell the tale of arriving in the U.S. based on actual experiences. So not only is it just going to have like a title, but it's going to have snippets. It's going to have... It's going to flesh out this story. That's awesome because I know that was something we had originally talked about, whether it was flavor text or um, whether it was just descriptions of events or descriptions of even characters or towns. Um, I know Amnesty International has a lot of really interesting stuff told from the perspective of those people that have made that journey. And I think that that not only does it flesh out the experience, too, but it really sort of makes it a more interesting and more engaging and tr- more true to life as well. It makes it true to life, and it makes it it makes it a knowledge game. It, it, it teaches. It, it, it's something that you can learn from. I actually had the opportunity to talk with someone who went, who as a young girl, she actually was. They, they came to the U.S. in a van. Mm-hmm. So hearing that, literally, that was two weeks ago before we even got back to this. Really, kind of just drove that conversation and that idea in my mind. So it's, the drive. It is crazy too sorry not to deviate no, this too much is but like a situation that's fine <laughs> yeah but like how but like this. how many how many people that like 
you know that you don't really actually know about that have either family members that have made that journey or know someone who's made that journey. Like the, the sheer amount of people who have made that crossing and, and maybe not necessarily talk about it or are willing to talk about it. But like, if you pick their brain, they'll, they'll tell you about the experience. It really is eye opening. Some of the, some of the stories that I've heard, some of the experiences that I've gotten to talk to other individuals about, um, yeah, it is, has been, it's kind of been staggering actually, like the sheer number of people that I knew that were kind of involved with that process that I, I would never have guessed, you know, prior to having those conversations. I, it's, it's really crazy. Yeah. But anyway, so, so continue on. Oh, no, you're just fine. Again, this is one of those topics that I, I think it's good to, for us to chat a little bit about between. Yeah. So the drafting phase is just going to be to gain supplies. Um, with an op- with At that point, everyone kind of has their choice if they're going to be vocal. Like, hey, I think I'm going to go for... I didn't really go too heavily into the exact supplies because I want to be more realistic with it, so I want more research. But just as yeah. generic, say rope. Rope is something right. that can be used with just about everything. Hey, I think I'm going to mm-hmm. pull pull my rope. And so maybe one rope card gives you the equivalent of one rope, but two rope cards give you the equivalent of three. So there's an right. advantage to you pulling more than just the one while still mm-hmm. having the ability to have one or having two cards is an advantage. Yeah. Um, and, and I know... Then, um, oh, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was going to say, I, I know too, as unsexy of a... Or unexciting, I should say, as a requirement as it is, but I know water for some reason, just clean drinking water winds up being like one of those things it's that people are thing. like, oh my gosh. And it, it winds up being like basically worth its weight in gold almost. Um, yeah. So that's a so, huge one as well that you can kind of use and you can pull. And that's especially for going on a situation like the night trainer when you're in a van for three days straight. Water, mm-hmm. towels, all of those things are extremely important. Right. Um, so again, you can either say this is what I'm going for, so that maybe you can try to convince your, te- you know, your fellow players to leave that in the drafting hand as it passes along to you. Um, oh. Or you can be secretive and not say what you're going for and grab and go. Um, each type of card is going to have a description of what and why it's used. Um, and again, that's something that's going to be more tied in fact. Um, after drafting, everyone can choose the route that they want to go. So say it's a four-player game with three routes. You can have all Mm -hmm. four go the same way. Three go one way, one go the other. I mean, you can have one person go this way, one person go this way, and two people go this way. Obviously, the more routes that you decide to go, it's going to be a longer game, but it's also going to teach everybody, and we're going to see a couple more scenarios all at once. Right. Um, Going solo, it's going to be a lot easier to pass by, like, the detection, um, which I want to work on how we can work on that gauge of, like, when you're rolling too high to pass these experiences, mm-hmm. the detection is something that comes to play that I think also needs to be brought into it. Or maybe well, detection's not the word, but the... Or maybe instead of um, you're rolling too well, maybe it's that you've got too many supplies. Yeah. Like you, you, have, have you, literally have, you literally have too much stuff um, to be able to like move quietly, travel silently. Yeah. Um, that would be really interesting. That that I think is interesting too, and I yeah. love this idea of the semi cooperative drafting hand, where you know you could talk to like, where it's not that you're you know because a lot of times it's like oh yeah like you know we're drafting spells or you know equipment or whatever, but this time it's like you no know, there's it's not that we're you know grabbing these things, it's that we have there's X amount of food and X amount of water and X amount of you know functioning shoes in this area 
So like, yeah. hey guys, this is what I need. Please don't scavenge this away from me. Um, so yeah, that's a really cool concept. And if too. we're in I the like same that. group, it makes more sense for me to have it because if I have three of this, then I get more than the equivalent of three. Whereas if we're in the same group and we each have one, we only have three. Right. So it's that's why I want to do like the using it as like a, bount, a uh, stacking equivalent because it does give the advantage to working together while still giving mm-hmm. a challenge when it comes to that supply count with the detection or with what have you. Right. Um, and obviously when you're running solo, while it's going to be easier to pass under that radar, it's going to be a lot harder to hit those supplies and route requirements, especially later on. Yeah, there's um, no because... way that you'd be able – almost no way – other than maybe even stealing from other players. Um, and that could kind definitely of be something we could work in. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, like I said before, man, this is one of those games that when it was originally suggested to us, I was really struck by how how yeah. powerful of an opportunity I really don't want to be. use the stealing against players, but at the same point in time, that's something that's realistic. Or or maybe just stealing from, you know, do you, do you steal from the town that has already given you a little bit of stuff? Or do you steal, like, not steal necessarily, but I don't want that to be like our our only. No, that's um, not the method. There's other options, and that's something that we'll look yeah. into. Yeah, but, but how, how man, can you acquire other supplies to balance your own later in the game? Um, but not only is it going to be harder to do that, but you also know that you're working on building a life that you where you potentially left others behind. So it's yeah, just something is, that you can see, and it builds again. It's th- this is an atmosphere setting game. It's not. You know, it's uh, not life. It's not a game of life where you're just sitting there spinning a wheel and laughing away as you fill up a little car with 17 children and a dog. Right. I'm struck, actually. There's a there's a quote that from a professor friend of mine that I really, really enjoyed. Um, they're a professor of history down at Mount St. Mary's. But when we had originally started making games for classes, the, the topic had come up about how accurate that we wanted to be with some of the historical experiences. And... Uh, you know, over the course of that conversation, the thing that we really said and the conclusion that we really came to was that a great historical game doesn't need to recreate everything perfectly, but what it needs to do is it needs to put the person playing it into the mindset of someone that lived there. It was yep. more important to create an experience that allowed that person to have empathy for someone they didn't know for a situation that existed outside of their lives um, than it was to recreate every single aspect of it. And that that's really what I think we could do with this particular title. I really think that there's an opportunity to kind of create that empathy that for an experience and for a group of people that a lot of times we don't we don't even really consider. Yeah, I agree. That's why I wanted to build it in a way that it could be used to tell those experiences. It could be used to tell multiple experiences and just in general be used as a learning experience while still mm. having a little bit of the lighthearted board game app features to it. But yeah. it's it's overall it's it's definitely gonna be a knowledge based. It's 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 for learning, it's for teaching. Yes. That and that's honestly that's exactly I think where it should be. I think it needs to be a teaching experience. Needs to be the kind of experience. Yeah, I I like it. Yeah. So that's I like it a lot. freedom. I, I think it's definitely come a long way from being a game of life knockoff that you and I had both discussed like when I was pitching it that I wasn't a fan of pitching it as a road to li- as a life knockoff because it just didn't the theme didn't fit the play. Yeah. But that was I was I mean that was my 
third, fourth game I think I had ever like idea I'd ever played with. So I had no idea how to just like take the take it off the rails, so to speak. So hopefully yeah, I did it a I, little I bit more say justice, that. and I appreciate your feedback last time with that. It has it has come a long way, man. I, I'm not to say that you haven't come a long way as well with your pitching styles, but man, yeah, we really this is really really different than where we we had originally started with Road to Freedom. It most um, definitely is, and that's good. That's pretty excellent. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. So with it that, is. let's switch it over to coolness. Let's let's talk about something. something All right. That so hasn't been done before, I believe. Okay, so coolness. So for those of you who know, I am very good friends. I shouldn't say very good friends. We we have we've recently become friends, but I would say I would consider him a friend. Um, my 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 friend Gregoire uh, is the manager. He is he's basically he's Mister Dust USA. If you have heard of or played war games, or you're familiar with the war games and war miniatures space, you're probably familiar with Dust USA. It oh, is yes. a weird World War II style of game. Um, that I really, really enjoy. If for nothing else, then Australia is basically a land of Amazonian mercenaries now, which I think is hysterical. I, I love it. I don't know why that particular faction appeals to me as much as it does, but it absolutely does. Um, yeah, and sure. Gregoire, Gregoire has a lot of strong opinions about board games. There's not, there's not a lot of sacred, uh, there's not a lot of sacred cows in the board gaming hobby for Gregoire. So he challenged me. At, I think he was being glib about it, but I took the challenge literally. He said, I want you to make a game that hasn't used any of the same boring mechanics that we've used for the last thousand years. Um, so, Gregoire, I'm going to tag you when this this episode comes out because I wanted you to, to want you to know that this this challenge has haunted my dreams. <laughs> so before I even sat down and did this game, Riley, I want you to, to understand the some of the research that went into this uh, this particular topic. So. I re- so I assumed that with Gregoire's uh, tongue-in-cheek challenge that I was not allowed to use any mechanic that has existed for a thousand years. So going from now, 2020. So anything that was the year 1020 AD and back is a mechanic that I cannot use, is a th- uh, an idea that I cannot use. And I also included in that implements. So for example, dice which have been around since the prehistoric times, are right out. I'm not allowed to use dice for this game. Uh, I cannot use playing cards for this game because the earliest playing cards were used centuries ago. Um, I am not allowed to use a game board in this game uh, because the first game (laughs) that one of the the oldest known board game, the Royal Board Game of Ur, which was found in the Babylonian Empire, had a board. Yep. Uh, I am not. I am not allowed to use bluffing games. I am not allowed to use trick-taking games. I cannot use racing styles of games. I am not allowed to use abstract strategy. I cannot use war. Nothing, no <laughs> as, combat, man. As a as a particular title. Uh, so this is this is essentially going to be one of the more interesting ones. I, we have not had any app-assisted games before. And so I decided I was going to take a stab at making an app-assisted game. Nothing uh, based rec- on it. We've had some of like the tie-ins with Months the Game and stuff like that, where it's like, yes. oh, you can use it as an when you're done, but not as a this is a part of the game itself, like an exactly. or anything like that. Precisely. And the since the cell phone is not a thousand years old, I'm allowed to use the cell phone. Uh, I am also allowed to use a social deduction game um, because. 
Those, while they may have existed, they have not existed in board game form for at least a thousand years. Hmm. So, so you and I gotcha. misheard that entire question because I thought it meant anything within the past thousand years you weren't allowed to use. So interesting. Interesting take on the wording. Yes. Well, if I can't use anything in the last thousand years... Um, then you're out of luck. <laughs> yeah, there's... Then I'll just pitch the royal board game of Ur because, listen, if it was good <laughs> enough to survive 3,000 years of Babylonian history into the Egyptians, into the Sumerians, into the Romans who do how to play it, uh, it, it's, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and as far... I don't know a lot about intellectual copyright, but I'm pretty sure the copyright expires on a 6,000-year-old board game. Like, I feel like I'm allowed I mean, to it repackage depends. that. Every 100 years, are they filling out that paperwork? You know... I'm not sure what Hammy Rabbi is doing or any of the uh, people who made the Hanging Gardens, but I'm pretty sure they're done. They're done making stuff. But who knows, right? You never know. So this is also this game is also inspired by a good friend of mine named Mindy Baker, uh, who I was talking to about my experience of running a yard sale. And I was saying that we have uh, we were playing the Are They Wearing Pants game, uh, which is people wear these long, long shirts and we live in a comfortably rural area within Pennsylvania and so some people uh, decide to take the no shoes no shirts no service and they wear shoes and they wear shirts and I don't know what they're wearing underneath their long t-shirts um, so this is called are they wear so the coolness is the working title but essentially you and a bunch of your friends have all shown up to the same party um, wearing long t-shirts only one of you is not wearing anything underneath the long t-shirt and you're not sure who is who so what you do is everybody plugs their cell phone number uh, into this app. The app then actually is going to uh, spit out a list of things. So each player is going to get one of those things. So for example, that is what you are hiding underneath your shirt. Uh, except that one person is going to get the designation of pantsless. And it is their job to remain uh, unfound out by the rest of the players at the table. And so every so often, uh, the app will actually spit out an activity that everyone at the table has to do. Um, however, the pantsless person does not get this text. They get a decoy text. Um, and so starting with one player, the oldest player, and then going around the table, um, that person is going to do something, whether it's like hopping up and down. That might be the first thing that the phone app sends to them. And then with every subsequent person, the phone app is going to add a little something onto it. So, for example, hopping up and down might be one thing. Uh, hopping up and down on one foot might be the message that it gives to the second player. Uh, hopping up and down on one foot while patting your head might be the thing that it gets to the third player. And then let's say that the fourth player is the one that is not wearing any pants. Uh, they're just sort of like, oh, crap, what do I do? Um, and they sort of have to try and make that part up. Um, and so after that, everybody has a quick vote. They try to figure out which one is the player who is not wearing their pants. And that person gets voted off. They do not tell the others if they were one of the uh, pantsless individuals or not. Uh, and there can be a version of this game, I think, that has multiple pantsless human beings. I think that's a totally, uh, totally fair idea. And yeah, that's that's essentially the game. That is coolness. Uh, in a nutshell, by the way, this decision is not just motivated by my my yard sale technology. Pants are a relatively recent invention within the Western world, so I figured that was kind of fitting as well. And that's that's my game, man. Okay, uh, 
okay. I took a page from Bugles on that one a little bit. I wanted something kind of simple. I wanted something kind of light, a little social deduction. To my knowledge and from my historical research, there has not been a party game. There's no like thousand year old party game. It's not like the Romans were sitting around lounging on their lounging around in their latifundas playing, you know, cards against humanity or anything like that, or plebeians against the the Senate, whatever they want to call that particular version. Plebeians against the I vote that Uh, to be in our season two bracket, please and thank you. Plebeians against the Senate. All right, we'll put it we'll we'll make a note of it. We'll put it on the season two bracket. (laughs) So that's that's my concept for coolness. It was I feel like it's a game that like is way simpler than the amount of research that I poured into it. Yeah, but it has to be because all your yeah, research that... is what doesn't exist, not what does. Yeah, uh, I will tell you right now, um, we have – I was trying to narrow down some of the things that I was allowed to make that, that aren't like a thousand or more years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, the spinner from Life is technically not, not a thousand-year-old game mechanic. Um I think the, the closest reference that I could find within my research was I think that there were like French Riverside casinos during like the the later half of like the 1500s that had essentially what were like crap spinners, like roulette spinners. Uh, that's the earliest that I could find it, which put it with well within the, you know, the thousand year old mark. Um, war games, surprisingly, uh, were, are a recent invention. Uh, the Prussians were the first people to make war games. Fun fact, uh, the Hohenzollerns wanted a way to make tactical simulations. Uh, and so this, no joke, this is where the actual, like if you see hit points in games, um, hit points were how many, I forget how much it was. I think this might've been the French later on, closer to World War One, that made this designation. But so the Prussians were the first ones to do it. And the Prussians actually played early D&D or proto D&D. No joke, they found like actual historical uh, polyhedral 20-sided dice. <laughs> like, I think that's incredible. I, I, I've heard that one. I didn't know about... Because I, I would have imagined that the war... I mean, the war gaming aspect of it would have been around since before the Romans with their tactical might. So, it depends... So, it depends on what you qualify as a as a quote-unquote, like, a war, war game. game. Because so, for example... using army tactics doesn't mean it's a war game. Right, exactly. So, like, I couldn't use anything, like... That's why I said abstract strategy games weren't a thing that I could make... Because chess and Go, uh, or the Chinese equivalent of chess, or chess yep. is the Western equivalent of Go, however you want to phrase that, have existed for thousands of years. So abstract strategy games were right out. But actual nitty-gritty war simulations are only like uh, 700, 800 years old, 600 years old, something like that. Hmm. So like early 1500s, you know, late 1400s, Essentially, um, the designation for the hit point actually doesn't come out until closer to the century. Uh, it was the de- so a hit point is essentially how many I forget if it's like I think it's how many twelve inch long mortar shells can something take without being destroyed was a hit point, hmm. which is crazy. So uh, there's a yeah, there's a phenomenal little um, thing the the news outlet Polygon actually does a thing where you can help calculate the HP of your pet. Uh, that's where I heard some of that research because they were like, well, then this is stupid. All of us have one hit point because none of us can take a 12-inch long mortar shell. Uh, yeah. So, so like, the only thing that would have hit points are, like, boats. Boats Buildings. or, like, tanks. Maybe large planes. 
like a like a super fortress bomber or whatever. But yeah, I mean, so actual war games were were technically allowed on the list. Uh, I didn't want to pitch a war game because Gregoire makes war games, and I figured that would be like me giving in to him. I didn't want yeah. him to have the satisfaction of making a war game. But uh, since pants are a relatively recent invention, at least in some spheres of civilization, um, and because there's not like an app-assisted social deduction party game, uh, that actually met all of my requirements. So that's coolness in a nutshell. Yeah, the only one would be um, Jack in the Box, which has some stuff similar. Yes, yes. Very true. Any anything else that you would like to uh, um, my you'd like to add to this particular pitch? Your starting order makes it very difficult if you're the first person going as the person without pants. That's a good point. So I didn't have it a would fix almost have to be decided by the app like by the app itself. Oh it should tell you who goes first. And it should choose you the order. Because that okay. way the the it's a little more it's still random, but it's um, it's going to make sure not to choose whoever is going first. They could go second, yeah. but they shouldn't be go first because that's an immediate out. Yeah, I would agree. That's and something then that just I actually working on how it sends the stuff out. Maybe yeah, like it would almost have to like give like a hint as opposed to like not sending anything. It should almost give a hint as to what it's sending out to see how good you are at like you said that deduction almost of. Mm-hmm. You know, like how, because you got to fake it to make it, but there's like 17,000 things you could do. So, right. how can you make sure that you're going to be within a general realm of possibility? And actually, one of the reasons that I, that I had pitched in the beginning, and I'm glad that you brought it up because I actually think I forgot to mention this uh, in my opening pitch, is the reason that everybody has something that they have to hide underneath their shirt, mm-hmm. whether that's the, the baby T Rex that you cloned in a lab or. Yeah, you uh, didn't go into full that, details with that. You just I did not. So, the shirt so and left everybody it. kind of has. Everybody has kind of. We're, we're going to call it like a, a handicap that prevents them from doing certain motions, or that they're going to always have to account for certain motions and certain things that they're always going to have to do. So, for example, if you are hiding that tiny T Rex underneath your T shirt, maybe you always have to have one arm kind of hooked by your side to always keep that little T-Rex balanced. So people are always going to kind of be guessing about everybody at the table. Um, and that's to, to sort of make the second player problems. Like, so even if you do get to go second as the, that helps to hide it a little bit, it, it does help to hide a little bit. And I'm glad you brought up the first player thing, because that was honestly something that I was struggling with answering. So yeah, I think just having it be uh, RNG from the app is the easiest method. Yep, I really, it, I really like that. Automatically, not add whoever is the pants. You know, they would just have a specific uh, number assigned to them that it doesn't give. Um, yeah. Also, please tell me that there's a physical box version of this that comes with like eight like dress length shirts and shorts. That way, everybody has to wear something, and, oh my and then gosh. we can see. It's uh, going to be uh, there's a T-Rex uh, stuffed animal. There's, you know, there's like a koala that's chewing on eucalyptus leaves. There's like a literal two-handed sword. Um I'm, It could be I love the idea of I love the idea, oh my god, just to honor the Prussians even more. <laughs> um, I love the idea of having the long elastic t-shirts. Yeah. Because I envision this as something where if you do have the long t-shirts, 
I was thinking about making an optional rule, but having the long t-shirts and then having the option for you to actually bring things from home. Um, yeah. And then it becomes like the box of lies, the like the Jimmy Fallon uh, sketch slash game uh, that I really think is super funny and enjoyable. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. That's coolness, man. That is the that is a, a ton of research to try to get to that one point. Man, it is. It's been a weird. <laughs> it's been a weird, weird, weird amount of uh, of of research to get to like one game about not wearing pants at a party. But here we are. All right. Do you think we'd make it here? No, I certainly <laughs> think we'd make it. Hey, look at us. Do you think we'd get here? I didn't. I didn't. All right. Well, with uh, that, guys, thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, we just want to go ahead and give a quick shout-out to, and this is the exact username, so I apologize, but we're just shouting this specific one out. It is, I'm trying to pull up the name because I was not quite as prepared as I thought I was. Yeah. Um, for Christ's sake, is this taken on Apple Podcasts? Giving us a five out of five star. Our first podcast review. So we our first it. podcast review. Yeah, it was. Re- it's really awesome. I'm. I'm really. I'm. I was kind of happy about that. Riley sent me that message over the uh, over the phone, and I was like, man, this is super exciting to just have access to this and yeah. be like, wow, I can't believe it. Somebody somebody likes us enough to give us a five out of five. Yeah, because we've had some, you know, of course, subscribers. You have people commenting on YouTube. We have some. But an honest-to-God review. So thank you, whoever that is. We appreciate it. And The the grind is real, man. It is. If it's not you, feel free to leave us a review. It doesn't have to be Apple. It could be Google. It could be Pandora. It could be Spotify, YouTube. Uh, Sadly, we're not currently accepting reviews via Carrier Pigeon, Tin Can. Uh, We're not accepting reviews via Smoke Signals. Um, but definitely all of the streaming platforms, uh, we can 100% accept them, and we always appreciate them. As speaking of streaming platforms, you know we're on all those Pandora, Spotify's, Listen Notes, GeoShavon, um, Apple, Google, C, Pandora, 17,000 other ones. I think I already said half of those. Yep. Carrier Pigeon? Did you mention Carrier Pigeon? Oh, we are on those. We just don't accept reviews. We are on Carrier yes, Pigeon. Yes, we. Uh, I actually I didn't want to tell Kyle we're actually on Passenger Pigeon too. Ooh, you know Yo, what? I, I, first I, I podcast love since eighteen pigeon more. since the eighteen hundreds to be on a Passenger Pigeon. Just um, breaking another thousand year old curse. Well done, <laughs> us. Well, century, but yeah. Uh, with that, we appreciate you guys listening. Um, and Riley's trying to weasel out of this before he can get his random question. I just want to point that out. <laughs> you're not you're, right. you're not going anywhere until the random question gets answered, my friend. Oh, I know. All right, let's do it. Too. Uh, all right. So, Riley. Yes, sir. Here, here's the big question. All right. Here, here is the big question. <laughs> is it – okay. I was going to get <laughs> – oh, all I can think about is that post – where they're like a tomato based uh, fruit salad is really just a salsa. And I was going to be like, discuss. Um, so <laughs> is the milk in soup uh, a gravy or a broth? Discuss. Uh, it would be a broth because a gravy. Okay. Well, actually, before I, <laughs> I fully go into this, I need a clarification. So this milk in the soup. What is its consistency? Because that's what makes the difference. A broth is more liquidy. A gravy is more viscous. So are we talking like curdled milk? Or are we talking like fresh out the cow milk? 
Because I would say milk. I, 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 mis- I misspoke. Is it a, is it a broth or a sauce? Oh, that's what it oh, is. It oh. is a broth. Is it a broth or a sauce? That is what it is. Sorry, uh, not a, not a the... not broth or gravy. Okay, copy. Well, either way, I'd already decided between those two is broth. I would say it depends. Are you basing everything in the milk, in which case it is a broth, or are you basing everything, or are you pouring the milk in last as a sauce? The broth Ooh. will be the longest lasting. It'll be what's really collecting all everything, and the sauce is simply a flavor adder. So here, okay. So so you're on the broth. You're in the broth camp then. Well, I'm on the what time of preparation was it added train? Okay. So here here's my thought problem. I'll answer first for once, and then I'll have you answer because maybe you'll have a, a better mindset to this. I think it's a sauce because here's the thing. Right. Usually when you eat a food that has a sauce that comes with it, the mm-hmm. food is edible minus the sauce. Right. As mm-hmm. as the great rapper Gucci Mane once said, you don't want to get lost in the sauce. It's right? true, but it's also edible without broth. See, but most but like you don't want to eat a soup without a broth. I mean, I would love chicken then. noodle soup without the chicken noodle soup broth. But but ce- cereal without milk is still cereal. So soup without broth is still soup. No, soup without broth is just vegetables and meat in a bowl. No, no, that would be that would be the beginning of a stew. No, that's that's um, what I'm, this that's this is what I'm saying though, because you can have cereal exists independently of the milk, which soup. thus I think makes milk the sauce. First and foremost, who's making soup with milk? No one's making soup with milk. I'm just saying that you can't like, have soup. I've been with, having. You can't. I was soup trying to like broth is not uh, soup. Listen. But cereal without milk is still cereal. There, there, there go. Milk Why did you sauce. bring milk into it if nobody makes m- soup with milk? Like this is a, this is a question that should not exist. You've been li- you've been researching things that don't exist, and you've been re- and you found that the one thing that has never been added to soup was milk. And so you're like, okay, oh, coolness. I'm not I'm not saying you add milk to the soup. I'm using soup as an example. What I'm saying is that cereal exists independently of milk. You can have cereal in a bag, and it's still cereal. Bad but, form, sir. You're changing oh, your question. Bad form. I'm just – I'm explaining my reason. The question still remains. Milk, broth, or sauce? Uh, where, again, where are you at? It literally depends on when it is added. If it is the – one of the if, – if it is the base liquid, it is broth. If it is not the base liquid, it is sauce. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that Socrates died for. This is the kind of crap that <laughs> – this is the kind of crap the pre-Socratics were doing until Socrates was like, y'all know this is dumb, right? Like, yeah. we got big questions like, where am I going when I die? What does it mean to live a good life? No, and then- no. <laughs> we don't care about any of that stuff. All right, guys. Zeno Please is, tell me Zeno somebody has listened like- long enough, and I know you have. I need y'all to give us your feedback and just tell Kyle that he's wrong because that's not – one milk and soup do not mix. That's milk that's is, just disgusting. Two milk, milk is a sauce. It all it depends on the timeline. It okay, like no, because cereal <laughs> is cereal. Soup that is made in broth and then you remove the, the broth you, is you are, still. You're, you're, soup. you're too far on the on the cereal soup comparison. I, I'm just saying that that I think milk. I'm telling sauce. you that milk is a bad question related to soup. And I am spiking my mic right now in frustration. <laughs> this is this is this is what this is what Socrates died for. Um, this, this but make is the sure that you leave this in the comments. I don't have an I'm... immediate answer. I just can tell Kyle that he's wrong. 
Um, I'm I'm so excited to see what other people say in the comments. Please make sure that you let us know on social media uh, at Twitter at Desk Storks. Uh, you can at tell Desk me Storks. at Desk Storks as well on Facebook. You can tell me uh, how correct I am about milk uh, being a sauce. Desks and Dorks at Gmail dot com. What is Gmail? I don't even know anymore. I only I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. I only use Gmail for like quote-unquote business meaning the podcast so i don't even know yeah oh but just shoot, shoot us to us on twitter i've been i've been posting a lot of uh game memes on twitter and and have you they haven't been getting a ton, they haven't been getting a ton of i haven't uh, seen uh, any in the last like week let let me rephrase that I, we've been posting a lot of game memes for us for our twitter account <laughs> but hey if people are talking to me about whether or not milk is a sauce then maybe we're gonna get some more game memes that's all i'm saying okay that's fair that's fair so, I gotta, I gotta blackmail people into interacting. <laughs> I mean, that's that's true. That that is a very fair point. Uh, but in any case, uh, please make sure to thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And I sincerely appreciate all of the help and all of the wonderful support in our first uh, five out of five reviews. But until next time, I am Kyle Ott, and I am Riley Parks. We will chat with you. And we soon. will. Bye, everybody. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.